Today on the Turned On Podcast, we are going to discuss the number one decision that you will ever make in your life. We're also going to discuss something that every single one of you, I believe, is going through right now, something that is critical to your happiness, to your overall well-being, and lastly, I believe, Angelique, what we're going to discuss today is something that could literally change the world. I know that's a lot, but stay tuned for the Turned On Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. All right, it is hot outside. We've had several triple-digit days of temperatures here, but it's cold in, it's actually freezing right here in the Turned On Studios. <laughs> it is cold today. A.K.A. Our bedroom closet. <laughs> Here's the sad part. We have the most epic room that we could be recording in in our new home studio, if you will. But there's new construction. But, but there's new construction uh, next door, pretty much all around us. Yeah. And they're like banging away at brick today. Yeah. And we don't have um, a door installed on the main room for that studio. So it's subject to toddlers and small children and banging bricks. So we yeah. don't want to do it in there. So here we are again for the 18th month in a row, which feels like I'm sitting among hats, pants, and a dirty clothes hamper. I love it. But yeah. whatever. And our, our trusty mascot Elvis is right here by our side. Always. Always. So I intro this episode with some pretty heavy stuff. And Angelique, you know I don't I can't fake excitement, right? I mean, I, I like to tell it like it is. I can't lie, and I like to tell it like it is. So when uh-huh. I say that today we are going to discuss on this show the number one decision in your life. We're going to discuss something that you're all going through that's pertinent and I can guarantee all of your lives and something that, what, can change the world? What could possibly change the world right now that we live in? Well, I'm excited because I'm going to bring to you our guest today. Now, when I say I like a book, that means I like a book, okay? It I mean, even, I mean, you like to read, but you don't have, you can't, your attention, a short span. attention span. Very, yeah, it's it has to be good. Well, when Angelique looks at me and the highlighter comes out and she sees me highlighting and then I, I have to shove stuff and go, look at this, read this, read this. Uh-oh. You know, it's a mm-hmm. good sign. Mm-hmm. So what is the subject? Well, the name of the book is Ultra Marriage. And the subtitle is Going the Distance One Moment at a Time. The author is our good friend Mike Bellini. And I've talked to him on several occasions. Um, He was introduced to us through a good friend. And I'll tell you what, Mike, thank you for joining us. I cannot wait to show our listeners and talk about this book right now. How are you today? I'm doing great, guys. I I 
echo uh, your sentiments. I appreciate being on here. I love this subject. I love talking about it. It's been my driving compass for the last uh, really 25, 26 years. And dude, I, I couldn't agree with you more in your opening comment that if we want to change the world, this is where we need to start. Mm. This is absolutely where we need to start mm. is in our homes, in our marriage. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I'm just super excited to be here. I'm, I'm grateful that we connected. So I can't wait to get started. All right. Well, let's dig in right away. And the first question is, Mike, why did you write this? Yeah, man, I, I really wrote the book out of a sense of obligation, honestly. I um, I tried writing a book over 25 years ago. I stopped a few chapters in, and I said, I'll never do that. I don't have the patience. It, this is just a horrific uh, process. Well, 25 years later, you know, I've, I've been um, in marriage, built a family, got the idea that if I have anything to give to the world, what would it be? And it's a perspective on marriage. And it's from that first inclination of, you know, the, asking myself the question, if I were to write a book about my marriage, would it be valuable to anyone? Um, what would it be like to really creating a, a mission and a burning desire within myself to, to highlight the importance of marriage? And really, that's coming from a guy that it, it, like I said, it's been my driving compass for the last 25 plus years, but I didn't, I didn't start there. As a, as a youngster, I was, I had a lot of social anxiety. I felt extremely inadequate because I never had a girlfriend. I put an immense amount of worth on that. Um, and I'll date myself here a little bit. I mean, I, I looked at people like, uh, or I watched a lot of TV, uh, and movies, um, very much a movie buff. And Sam Malone from Cheers was like the guy, right? Like if I could be like a guy, it's that guy. He's got a different girl on his arm, every episode, all that, right? Unfortunately, I didn't have any male mentors teaching me otherwise. And I would see my friends with girlfriends and it made me feel less than, right? And, and kind of notice how I, how I talk about that with, I, you know, seeing my friends with girlfriends, like not that they were in a relationship, but that they had a girlfriend. That's how I viewed it back then and you know i finally dated a a girl my senior year of college um we broke up for very good reasons but it really put me in a tailspin emotionally um when uh really when i graduated college and i was kind of in that no man's land uh period and you know i was pushing away friends my family was was concerned because i was just in this deep doldrum i think it was you, you could describe it as a form of depression and one night I just asked the one person in my life that treated me as if everything was okay. And he always did that. And I really never noticed it until that moment, but it was, it was my grandfather. And we were alone together in my dad's store uh, one night. We were, uh, we were working together. We did that uh, quite often on Friday and Saturday nights. And I asked him a question that was just, I mean, it was burning inside of me. I, I said, what is the secret to life? What do you think is the secret to life? Cause I was, you know, like a lot of us, that was just a point in my life. I was searching for meaning. I was searching for an answer to get out of the doldrums that I was in. Man, without hesitation, he said, I think you need to find a good woman. Mm. Those are his exact words, not mm-hmm. mine. I mean, he, he came from the, the greatest generation, you know, very old fashioned. He fought in World War II. But the fact that he had no hesitation and he looked up and he was pondering and I'm like, I think he's 
I think he's giving me this advice because maybe maybe he's looking back on his own life and saying, I don't know if I made the right decision. Even if even though he and my grandmother were together for I think it was close to sixty years, very loyal, but they were very different. Yeah. And later on in life, he just I, I don't think he had what he wanted to have. That one moment changed the trajectory of my life because I stopped thinking about trying to have a girlfriend. I started thinking about who I wanted to become so that I could be the husband that I needed to be to have, have the type of marriage that my grandfather was talking about. And like I said, from that moment, it's been it's been my guiding compass the last 25 plus years. And you go back to your your opening monologue about changing the world. If if we could list the top 10 things that could be done to make the most positive impact in the world, in my opinion, number one would be to strengthen our families. And the marriage is the core of the family. Amen. And number two would be a very, very distant second. Everything else would be very, very distant. So imagine, I keep asking myself this, what if families would turn into each other and love each other and care for each other and support each other and husbands and wives would not just be loyal and committed, but would love each other as love is meant to be and get the most out of the marriage and be intentional with their kids. You know, I mentioned this to you, to you yesterday. If we took care of our homes and made our homes the strongest foundation we could, we, I mean, we wouldn't need to look for a, a leader outside or a politician or a new policy to make our, our world better. Our politicians would be catering to us because we would have our stuff in order and we'd say, you know what, if you, uh, you want to put mandates on our kids in school and you, you want to tell us what you're going to teach our kids, even though we don't agree with it, we're good. We'll just homeschool. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Our family's in order. We would be able to do more of that stuff. And so that's, that's the passion, man. Why I wrote the book to highlight the importance of marriage because we just don't, we just don't see it as important as it needs to be. So Mike, uh, all of that so poignant and, and especially where we all are today, my question to you, um, well, first of all, this is your grandfather. Is this the same Jitto that I, I read about? No. Okay, I didn't think so because Jitto's no. story was yeah, very let, different. We'll get to that in a we'll second. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, so yeah. what I really want to find out, though, is, you know, to our listeners, like, what if they're sitting there going, oh, my gosh, did I marry the right person? Because we're so different. You know, we're obviously not going to sit here and advocate for you to like, break up marriages and someone go find the right person. Um, what do you say when when you're faced with a situation like that, you know, where, where they're questioning that? Because if if we're about ultra marriage, can we turn what's mediocre marriage or a questionable marriage into an ultra marriage? Yeah, there's no there's there's no doubt. Um regardless of where you are in your marriage, whether it's, you know, there are certain principles and foundations that if we do them up front, it'll set us up, right, for, for better marriage. Just like training for, uh, you know, you can you can train your heart out for an event or a race, yeah. um, and you'll do better. But you can also make some adjustments during the, the race that uh, can help you continue to go forward and get the most out of it. So, yes, um, my first, you know, what I realized was that I needed to focus on myself. Mm-hmm. I, I need to not pay as much attention 
at least at first, uh, my spouse, my wife, or my future wife, and I need to work on becoming the best person I can be, the best husband I can be. Okay, I'm gonna, um, I want to stop you there for a second because this uh-huh. is, I feel, an incredibly profound uh, point in this conversation. What you just said about I need to focus on myself. Now, that can be taken one of two ways because we're in the very self, uh, self-help, self self-development, self-love, self-everything to the point where it extracts God from the situation. We're in this self-centered generation where if it, but they, we can misconstrue that. Well, it's my needs, what I need from you, what you need to be doing. That's not what you're saying. Correct. That is 100%. not what you're saying. It's not being, it's not focusing on being selfish. It's becoming the best, your best self, becoming the best husband you can be, becoming the best wife mm-hmm. that you can be mm-hmm. for your spouse. Right. And uh, in doing so, there's, there's a reciprocation. If I'm the best husband I can be, more than likely my wife will reciprocate. Yeah, and vice rise to the occasion. And, and yeah. become better, right? It, it, feed, it feeds off of each other. Mm-hmm. Not in all cases because there, you know, there's some people that sure. are just, just continuously selfish. But right. in majority of human nature, you know, if you um, act with kindness and love, then that will be reciprocated. Yeah. And, you know, and I was actually, it's, it's interesting you asked that question. So I was, I was literally thinking about that this, this morning on my run that, when I first met my wife, I was infatuated with both the things that we had in common and the differences that we had. So, mm-hmm. for instance, and, and this, this may speak to, to answer your question, internally, emotionally, we were very much the same. Um, we're, very, we're, we're both very, very anal, very process-oriented. We <laughs> seemed to... Uh, have have anxiety or or worry about similar things, and so we really connected on that. Where we didn't connect is my wife is vivacious. She's energetic. She's out there. She is type A go getter. Give her give her uh, a, a direction, and she will just mow everything down. I'm not that <laughs> way. Um, I ponder. I think. I you know I get in my own way sometimes, mm. and. Um, you know, I try to make sure I have ducks in a row before I before I open my mouth or before I walk. We're very very different in that way. But what I what I did was, and I still do, and I'm so grateful for this. Is I looked at the differences between me and my wife, and I said, how can I how can I take off of that and get better? She's made me better. She's made me yeah. more outgoing. She, I'll be. I mean, in all honesty, she taught me how to smile. If she, if she has, you know, she has a type of smile that it just lights up a room. And I, when I look back at my family photos, my family doesn't smile. Yeah. They're all old school, right? It's like all those old photos from the, you know, 20s and 30s yeah. where nobody smiled. She taught me how to smile. So I looked, I, I um, looked at how we connect. And I still do, like I said, how do we connect on the things that we're similar on? And how do we make each other better through our differences? Wow. Well, there, there's some, you know, you and I have a lot in common, Mike. And one of the things that we need to bring up here and draw attention to for the men listening um, is that, you know, if you were raised in a, a, a patriarchal home where the old school man didn't show a lot of it affection, where he was the breadwinner and he was the disciplinarian and, 
one of the things I try and do now is show Angelique open affection in front of my children so they know how a man is supposed to treat them. And it's no fault of our fathers or grandfathers because you yeah. said your grandfather was very stern. You looked at the old pictures and nobody was really smiling. And then we look at some of the um, some of the cultures, like the Latin cultures, where um, hugging and kissing and is very open. And I remember very early on, uh, my family, because I grew up in South Florida around a lot of Cuban uh, friends and Latin Americans, and I was like, wow, like there's a lot of hugging and emotion, and we just didn't have that. It didn't mean that our parents didn't love us. Um, or each other. It's yeah. just, you know, those those Latin love languages or people from Europe sometimes. Yeah, I'm Greek, so we kiss everybody. Yeah, and <laughs> and the other part about it is that is this is hugely important for everybody, and i got to give you an experience when Angelique and I first got together, I loved going out to clubs and dancing. They called me Hip Hop Dave <laughs> because that was my jam. And and I'm very much into music, almost to a fault, where I think in, in music and song lyrics. And Angelique <laughs> You're wasn't. You're teaching it, too. And she, and she wasn't. And I, we, we literally argued about this in our courting stage when we were serious about getting married. And she looked at me, and what did you say? Well, I don't remember the beginning of the one arguing. I think well, it wasn't an <laughs> argument, but it was like I was like, I can't believe you. You're not. And I was like, go are, we, are we are we really going to like talk about the the future of our lives because I don't want to go salsa dance every weekend? Right. Like it was, it was such a thing for you. It was in your DNA to the point where it you were you were kind of shaping our future around the idea of that. And I was like. Oh, okay. I mean, well, I'm not lesson. sure if that's really a big part of the equation. Here's a lesson. A young, immature man mm-hmm. thinks that's going to be important to his marriage. Right. Years later, um, and this goes right back to your book, Mike, because audience, Mike has sections in his book where you're supposed to fill in things. He asks you questions. And one of my favorite sections is, he says, if you are currently single, what are the most important things you will want out of a marriage? Now, Going back to what I went through at that time as a young, immature man who had no idea what a successful marriage looked like, I would have said, I need her to like salsa music. I need her to like hip hop, right? What I think now as I've been counseling couples and I'm deep into this uh, vocation like you are, Mike, that answer is easy. It's trust. And if you look at it now, after 12 years of marriage, I look back and said, would I want Angelique to be really good at salsa dancing and hip hop and love music, or is it more important for me to trust her? Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a very easy question, Mike. What do you think about some of those things that we just, men are more immature and we think like, Oh, it's gotta have, it's gotta be great. Sex is the key to a marriage. It's gotta be, she has to like sports. She has to like football. She has to like (laughs) chicken wings and beer. And, and I'm being a little bit, you know, uh, chauvinistic well i mean i'm playing that card <laughs> yeah but it, it's a reality that yeah. people need to go you want to be able to trust your wife yeah. you want to be able to for better or worse in in sickness and in health mike what yeah. do you say yeah agree and it's yeah i mean I, it's not really chauvinistic to point out true flaws in men or women for that matter right i mean it's it's a it's an unfortunate reality in a lot of cases um but i yes i i agree with you you got to get to the heart of what the priorities are, right? Now, I'm fortunate because my wife grew up in the Southeast. She went to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and she's a big college football fan. So I hit the jackpot <laughs> on, on that, right? But 
like I said earlier, I mean, we, she and I are just, we, we are alike in a lot of ways, but we're very different in a lot of ways. And it does, it comes down to what do you, what do you really want? What is it that you want? And I, when I look back, it's, I did, I, I did a lot of mental observing of both my, my own parents as well as my grandparents. And I just, I decided I wanted all the good that I saw in my parents without the bad. My mm. parents argued a lot. Mm. and a lot over money and i said i will never let money come between me and my spouse mm. don't care don't care what what it is what happens um i don't want the arguing i'm going to figure out how to smooth that out and make them disagreements without turning them into arguments mm. um, as much as possible and so the yeah I, i'm oh I, I i my love language uh is obviously touch and so here's okay so here's an interesting thing too. So we did the five, the love languages a long time ago, maybe a couple decades ago, actually. My number one was my wife's number six, I think. I think there's six. But it was her last. Her first one was my last one. Wow. So I had to. So this sounds like work. To, it, well, <clears throat> yes, but once you understand the makeup. Mm-hmm. And then you say, okay, like you said, David, what is my priority? My priority is to make sure that my wife feels loved, feels special, feels heard, feels known, um, that she, she knows that she is my number one priority. Like if we, if we were to, this is a, this is a really interesting challenge and question. You know, for people listening, go ask your spouse, do you feel like you are the number one priority in my life? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, out. then yeah. I challenge you to figure out what you need to do. You know, just kind of talk it out. What What is it that you're doing or not doing that causes, um, you know, your spouse to feel that way? And even for you as well, whoever's listening, it's, it's, do you feel like you are number one priority? And it's not that you have to be with your spouse 24-7 or everything is about your spouse. It's just when there are competing priorities, does your spouse come first? Because they need to. And so in terms of like the love languages, okay, my, my priority isn't getting what I want. It's giving my wife what she needs and what she wants. And so her number one was gift giving. So what did I do? I, I can't say I stopped feeling being so touchy feeling because it's just, as long as she doesn't complain, I keep doing yeah. it. Um, but I started leaving notes and cards and it doesn't have to be like her Love language being gift giving doesn't mean that they have to be elaborate gifts all the time. Right, right. It's, I mean, in these days, this day and age, it could be a text in the middle of the day. Like yesterday, yeah. I sent her a text and just said, "Hey, I don't know if I told you how beautiful you are lately, but you are." Uh, things like that, little things that are the these things that she gets from me. So I started paying much, much more attention to to those types of things because that she's my priority. Making sure that she's she's happy. She feels special. She feels loved, and that I'm I'm being the husband that she needs. I love that. I love that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to something a specific place early on in your book that speaks to this. And here's the first thing that we have to realize: what Mike says, Angelique and I say it all the time, right? Is that he says the difficult reality is that marriage is not easy. That's right. You know, I I say. You can't take two people who grew up their whole lives, you know, adults, and people are getting married later this in this day and age, you know. I didn't get married till I was th- 37, mm-hmm. 38. So you take a guy that was 
on his own for 38 years. You take a woman who's on her own for 32 years, and then literally you put them in a box and say, go for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, it's not easy. And yeah. and people who think that marriage is going to be easy, you know, on that altar, everything is, you know, perfect. And you can't see what's going to come down the road in terms of challenges. But, you know, if you get married and the, and the priest or the, the pastor says, hey, you know, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, and you just say, yeah, it just comes out of your mouth because you're expected to say that. However, it's not easy. Right. And Mike says in his book right here, he says, <laughs> um, we share our lives with this person in ways that we don't share with anybody else. They're our most intimate companion. Yet many of us treat this aspect of our lives as if it's happening to us, allowing ourselves to be bounced around by our emotions rather than investing the thought, investing the effort, and investing the care we would in any other desire or passion of our heart. Meaning when we go into business, we know it's going to take work. When we want to build a house, when we want to build our bodies, we know there's going to have to be a lot of sweat equity, and you're going to have good days and bad days. Here's the thing. How many people at the first sign of trouble, Mike, just say, that's it, I'm out. There's, you know, mm-hmm. we, we become, when you talk about the culture, the culture is to cut and run and think it's going to get better. The grass is greener on the other side. But, Mike, speak to that right there, that this is going to be work. It's going to be ups and downs. Either you're in it for the long haul or you shouldn't do it at all. Yeah. Agree. And that's, you, you know, you, People listening, or particularly young people, can think, gosh, if it's going to be that much work, why is it worth it? Well, listen, mm-hmm. nothing wor- worth its salt in life is easy. Yeah. Everything that's worth anything is going to take effort. It's going to take work. It's going to be difficult. That's why it's worth it. Because yeah. you get to the other side, and you know what it took to get there, and you reap all the rewards. We are a culture addicted to comfort and convenience. Yeah, that it, it's one of our it's one of our biggest faults. We are so, and and here in America, and listen, I'm I love America, right? I'm very patriotic. I, for whatever reason, I have been since I was a little kid. Uh, America is the last great hope of the world until uh, the return of Christ, in, in my opinion. However, we have a culture that is just it's addicted to comfort and convenience. Yeah, and I think it started in our marriages. I mean, we we think it should be comfortable. We think it should be convenient. We think it should be easy. Because in a lot of ways, actually, I, I think I was going to say in a lot of ways it is in the beginning. It feels easy in the beginning because we have such a burning desire. Yeah. Right? It's not easy. It's, it's not right. easy pouring your heart out to somebody. It's yeah. not easy pursuing another person. It's not easy thinking about um, who this person was with the last time before they were with you. It's mm-hmm. not, um, none of that is easy, but we put forth the effort because we know the payoff is worth it. The companionship is worth it. The love is worth it. The, the, uh, the times that we spend together is worth it. And then we, and then we fall into comfort and convenience. Yeah. And it's, like you said, we, we pursue business, entrepreneurship, career, um, whatever goals or or desires, we pursue those, a lot of people, not everybody, but I mean, a lot of us, we pursue those with reckless abandon, just like we did in the beginning of a relationship. Amen. But we stop that. For whatever reason, we stop that that pursuit, and that's the problem. You said pursuit. You mentioned the word Christ, right? And let's talk Mm -hmm. about this. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, Angelique and I, we got married in a church. And I, and I believe that's part of what's going on. I know a lot of people now want to have the destination weddings. And, you know, we got married in the house of God. We made a vow to each other. One of the things that we've said over and over again, if we go back to, you know, you're a lover of movies. I love, I love you, Mike, because you and I think in terms of movies, it's all throughout your book, and I'm like, this is my guy. Well, there's a famous movie um, called Jerry Maguire. Angela, what did he say in the movie? You complete me. We all know that. Yeah. All the girls, you all the complete girls, me. And what do we say? You compliment me. So who completes us, Angelique? Christ. Okay, so if you're looking for somebody right now and a spouse or you're married and you're looking for that person to be everything to you and complete you, then you yeah. fell into the trap of Jerry Maguire. Well, you fell into the trap of feeling like that. I, I mean, Mike, you could argue with this. I, I, I have no idea where you stand on it, but honestly, you know, I if we don't understand our identity and fullness and wholeness in Christ and the fact that he redeems us from those things and fills in our empty gaps and helps us, you know, become better and we rely on his strength and not on our own. And, you know, if, if we can understand that, then I shouldn't come to the table looking at David to fix me, you know? Um, and so when, you know, we hear the line, you complete me and everyone falls in love with that. And then it becomes this new thing, like culture, like grabs onto it, like the hem of Christ and says, yes, that's it. no, like you said, it's not. This is not easy, uh, but it's simple. I think there's a there's a differentiator there. Agree, agree, and yes, and I actually I talk about that line in Jerry Maguire in the book. Do you? Because it's a <laughs> it's a lie. It's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, well, let's, I'm let's, glad we're on the same page. Well, let's I get that to this part. part. Speaking of the book, um, you know, yeah. in, in this particular chapter, and this is what what's critical is you talk about something um, spiritual growth. We encounter a lot of couples that, as they're trying to grow together, you know, one is inevitably going to be a, on a deeper level of spiritual growth. Angelique certainly was. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was a baby in terms of my spiritual growth when I met Angelique. And you say this, Mike. You said, um, progress in my faith, growing closer to God and wanting to increase that momentum. Mm. And you, you said there's a very real fear of pursuing personal growth. It's the fear of leaving others behind, yeah. your friends, your family, your acquaintances. Out of compassion for them and regard for your relationship, the prospect of changing your life and growing apart as a consequence is a very scary proposition. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, in marriage, those consequences are magnified because of the nature of the relationship, and you were sensitive. You said, I was sensitive to anything that might cause a wedge between us. But ultimately, the decision to do it or not came down to one factor, one priority. And you said, my God first. You said, I don't believe the following, uh, I don't believe that following God should lead me away from my family. On the contrary, it should bring us closer together. So there's, there's a story in there about you deciding to fast, and then you, you not sure how your wife would feel about it. But all of that stuff that we just packaged, and that particular section of your book, I think is so critical. So let's get your perspective on uh, growing together, uh, trusting in God, putting him first, and how that's going to grow the family. Yes, this is this is a tough one because I, and I've talked with people that are in different uh, stages within their marriages. Um, spiritually, I've talked to some people where one is, uh, you know, is, considers themselves a disciple of Christ and, and their spouse isn't necessarily a believer or a believer yet. 
And so there's a couple things here. I'll touch on one really quickly and then move on to the other. One is that how Scripture tells us not to be unequally yoked. So that's mm-hmm. where you've got one spouse that is a believer and another one that is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a reason why we're, we're instructed to not be unequally yoked. Not that, and I know, like I said, I talk to people who are in marriages like that now. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not easy. But I go back to Ephesians uh, 5 and where particularly for the wives, you know, I've gotten the questions of, what am I supposed to do? My husband, right. you know, he doesn't go to church. He's, I'm not sure. He's not sure if he believes yet. Mm. And Ephesians 5, really, it, it instructs wives to be that example because men need it. Her husband needs it. Mm. Um, Jesus, it, it mixed in with that is, you know, Jesus said himself, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword to divide people. What What is he dividing people on? It's, that it's the belief in, in uh, obedience to him. And so it's difficult when we're unequally yoked. So I'll do, that's all really I'll say on that piece there. Is yeah. that I have, that's, it's important to be equally yoked, but it's not, the work isn't over if you find yourself in a marriage that, um, where you aren't equally yoked. However, on the contrary, if you and your spouse are aligned in your belief and your desire to follow Christ, yeah. Regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, and you rarely, in my opinion, I think, you know, we go through ebbs and flows individually as well as in our marriages. And I think we'll rarely find ourselves in the same exact spot in our spiritual journeys. Right now, I'm, you know, my wife, her prayer life, her um, investing time in scripture is, in her relationship with, with Christ is much closer, I believe, than mine is. I, uh, my desire is there, and I'm working towards that. But, um, you know, there were, in the book, I wrote about a time where, where it was flip-flop. Yeah. But regardless of where we are in our spiritual journey, I, I do not believe that God will ask us to do something that will cause division in our marriage if we are aligned in our belief and our desire to pursue Him. Why would He seek to divide something that he created. I mean, he, he designed the male and the female to be together. There's only one way to keep the human species uh, going, and that's procreation. And that, mm-hmm. it's only one way to do that, yeah. to bring together a male and a female. So, you know, two that he brought together, why would he ask us to do anything that would cause us to, to uh, drift apart? That's so the end that's saying, so hey, if you go after this, or if you do this thing that you think God is telling you to do, boy, that's probably going to cause a wedge in your marriage, mm-hmm. and you probably shouldn't do that. Um, but I, and what I wrote about in the in the book is that you know I finally I succumbed to, yep, I, I have to, I have to follow God and what He's asking me to do here, and the result was actually a strengthening mm-hmm. of our relationship, yeah, versus a wedge being being put between us. So I remember that part where you talk, I think it was specifically around Easter fast. And mm-hmm. um, you were talking about how you're, you know, not always going to be on the same page. Like you wanted to fast and she, and she wasn't on board at the time. And, um, mm-hmm. and so that's what you're talking about, the flip flop. And I immediately just thought to myself, like, that's right. Why do we don't, we have this expectation and we hear all the time, well, we're just not on the same page. 
that's okay. As long as we're here to finish the same book, like, <laughs> you know, exactly. like, like if, if I'm, if David and I are writing the same book together, meaning like with Christ in the center of our marriage, and this is what we're committed to, and this is our vow, and this is, you know, uh, again, exactly what we're talking about, a biblical marriage in order, then it's okay if you're not on the same page. I don't care if you're in the chapter before me or after me. Like, we're going to finish this together. Mm. And communication has a lot to do with that. Yeah. And, Mike, you know as well as I know, and this is a cliche, but it, it it's, it's a cliche because it's true. When people talk about marriage and successful relationships, it's always we're not communicating, you know? And, and even going back to that old book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, you know? And, and I think one of the major things that comes up with me and some of the people that I've been coaching lately um, is the difference in how we communicate. Mm-hmm. In general, this is not a golden rule, but in general, men are direct. We don't like innuendo. We don't like uh, passive aggressiveness. If we're not doing something, you almost need to be a caveman and a cavewoman. You say, me no like this, you do it differently. <laughs> right? Oh, I don't like innuendo. I hate the passive aggressiveness. Uh, and one of the things I'm talking about with my client with now that come up, and I agreed with him, is the looks. It's the looks and the body language. We have to pay close attention to those things because sometimes it's just that look and you're like, just say it. Like, don't make me work for it. Just say it. What are your, what are your feelings about communication and marriage, Mike? Oh man. So that is a consistent theme in people that I talk with. It, it, It literally, I think it comes up with everybody, every, every couple. That how, whether, you know, they're doing it well, the communication is key, or if they're not doing well. I am a horrible communicator, uh, very introverted. I have, this is, this is work for me, right? This is part of the work in the relationship that I have to force myself to do to, uh, to get, the, to build the relationship that I want to have and that my wife deserves and, and that we both want to have, right? And so this is the work part for me. Communication is, it's, yeah, you're right. It's words. Um, but it is also facial expressions and body language. And there are, you can tell, right? I mean, you can tell if something's bothering your spouse. Here's the thing. And I don't know if women do this. Maybe, uh, Angelique, if you, I don't know if you do this. I don't know if I want to put you on the spot to speak for all women, but I know I do this and I think men do this a lot. It's that if my wife isn't happy, my first thought is it's my fault. What did I do? And I don't, and it's not, and I don't say that to mean like, oh, you know, complaining about my wife. She's thinking that I did this or that or whatever. But my first thought, it's the men are from Mars, women are from Venus concept, really. It came from that book that when she's done, when something's bothering her, when she's on edge um, and, or testy towards me, I'm thinking, what did I do? What, you know, why is she doing this? I didn't, or I'm like, I didn't do anything. Why is she doing this to me? Mm. So what I've learned, and I'm still, you know, working <laughs> to progress on this, is when I pick up on the visual, or she might say something a certain way, is to kind of wait, let the moment hold, and then to go to her at some point and say, you know, are you okay? Is something bothering you? Mm-hmm. Now, eight times out of ten, it's going to be something that doesn't have anything to do with me. Right. It's just the way it's being communicated and the yeah. same goes true to, right and men do the same it's, it's not just women it's, i mean it's vice versa right we a lot we uh we bring our baggage home and we we let it out on our spouse and our families and most of the time it doesn't have anything to do with them um 
but having open communication, like even to the point, uh, this is something else that I've learned too, again, being an introvert, God, this has been such a long, steep learning curve for me, is being open to her to tell her when I'm struggling with stuff. Yeah. So that she knows, so that she knows when, when I'm not so jovial, when I might sound a little bit testy, that's why. It's and we need I'm to know. Worried about this. Yeah. We exactly. We each need to know why. Just yeah, like David it, said, so you know, it's it's help. You know, obviously, women get, you know, are better communicated with other than caveman language. But you know, for me, I want you to be direct. But I also, I I prefer you. You know, explain to me, you know, why you're melancholy or why you're testy or why, you know, because. It's so easy if we if things go uncommunicated for it to build hidden resentment, mm-hmm. and in that hidden resentment, I think to myself, well, he's been a creep, so I'm going to be a creep, or you know, there's like this ferociousness that comes along with our daily habits if we're not communicating, and it could, and all of a sudden, you know, now what was not the root, of, like it wasn't something that I was the root of, or vice versa, it becomes that. Because how we're handling something outside of each other then turns into how someone was treated or mistreated or uh, not communicated with at all. Or, and that's what happens is we, yeah. st- we start to build habits around our own stuff that then become personal when they weren't personal to begin with. Well, I think men need tough love, too. I, I, and when I say tough love, I mean um, I tell – the people I know that you need a you need a godly example of men to be around. Like yeah. if you're if you're hanging around guys and you want a better marriage and you're hanging around guys that aren't believers or that have a bad marriage or are divorced, you know, and what you need to do is find yourself some some role models. I do believe that and and this is my my personal belief, but Mike, you tell me cuz I think it's biblical is um I believe that there needs to be some tough love with men out there. And I'm going to tell men over and over again, man to man, that we, as men, have a greater responsibility to preserve the marriage. You know, God put us in charge, right? Jesus said the church was his bride, and we're to treat our brides as, as he treats us with yeah. love and respect. And, and I know that we all have our faults, and, um, but we have to have humility as men. We have to be able to humble ourselves, but also um, we have to take on a greater responsibility, you know, as tough as it may be, that's a fact. We have to soften up on one end, but we have to commit more on the other. You know, we can't take we can't take blows, uh, verbal blows or anything like that, and retaliate with an equal one. We have to come back with sincerity, and sometimes we're going to have to realize that, hey, you know what? How are we going to handle this differently? How can I let my wife know that I truly love her? And sometimes that happens in social settings. When, uh, you know, you're across the room and something's going on, you can see your wife give you a look and you have to stop and say, I'm recognizing the situation right now. I'm going to be a man and I'm going to end the situation. I'm going to go over to my wife and I'm going to tell her how I love her or I'm going to we're going to get out of this particular thing that is making either one of us uncomfortable and we're going to address it. And it's a difference between success and failure between, like Angelique just said, letting something steamroll or mm-hmm. fester yeah. into a greater argument. We nip it in the bud, we communicate, and and sometimes the biggest thing, men, listen to this, the biggest thing right now, I'm talking to you, pride. Pride is Pride will kill more marriages, it will kill more relationships than any other 
any other emotion. And it's one of the seven deadly sins because pride is what men do. Angelique, how prideful was I? Oh, my gosh. Even in the first couple years of our marriage, you're like, you would rather sit there and have us not talk. You Mm -hmm. will not apologize. You will not say I'm sorry, even because you are just so filled with pride. Yeah. And I had to work on that. The other thing is, and Mike, I'd love to hear from you because I think this is a a subject that many couples, you know, don't necessarily see eye to eye on. I will stay up till three in the morning until something is resolved. Because if, if, if I do not, the word tells us, do not let the sun go down on our anger. Um, if we do not, it's like, for me, it's like, yeah, we we cleaned up something temporarily, but we only swept it under the rug. And when we lift the rug, we still have a mess. So David, on the other hand, is wired differently. Not now he knows better. You but mean sex and sleep don't take care of all marital problems? Absolutely no, no. But he, he would rather just like, I just want to go to bed. I'll w- we'll wake up in the morning. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> doesn't happen. That Let's go to bed happen. now, wake up in the morning, make love, and then everything's fine. No. Mike, talk. <laughs> give us, give us, give us your insight here on this subject because I think it's so important for you know because it's not about if you're going to fight, it's when and how and how and why it's important to to have these discussions. And you know, I don't think that we take petty discussions because there's lots of things you can put a pin in. You know, like I'm not. This is not nitpicky stuff. I'm talking about real need, like real needs that need to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. There's, there's a lot there that you guys there's said. I'll think, uh, <laughs> a couple things. So first, to your point, David, in terms of speaking to the men, yes. Men, tell your wife you're sorry when you mess up. First, it takes acknowledgement that you did mess up. And then secondly, and in, in most cases, there's both people at fault. Mm-hmm. So step up and be the first one. To say that you're sorry, and really that that that's both for husbands and wives. Honestly, it, it doesn't have to just be the men, but boy, uh, men, put your pride down and go say you're sorry. That was one of the really really interesting things about writing the book was I remembered a lot of stuff that I used to do that I'm not doing so much of now, and I I actually pondered that thought. When was the last time I told her Mm. that I was sorry about something Mm. and asked for forgiveness? Mm. And I couldn't remember, and I'm like, well, I know I messed up on stuff. I know I made mistakes, so why don't I do that anymore? And so it's brought that back to life to to say that. That breaks down so many walls when you just put your pride down and go say, you know what? I'm sorry, and you don't expect an apology in return. You just say, I'm sorry, I messed up. And how far back can you go? Like, how, how far back can you go? Like, if you, if, let's, for instance, say, you know, it's something that you, maybe the Lord brings it to your heart. You're like, man, that was a long time ago. But, like, how far back do you go Do you, for that kind of repentance? Ooh. Um, so, my wife and I, this is another thing that I, that I really realized after writing the book and she and I talking through it, um, we forgive and forget very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I would say, first of all, practice that. Yes. Um, the reason we do that is because we would rather be loving and enjoying each other than arguing about something. Um, yeah. So... 
you know, will we, in my, and this is another thing, constantly my wife is just, she's just amazing how quickly she forgives and forgets. She doesn't hold things in the closet. And so I, I tend to look at, let's, let's take a look at what we are, where we are. If there's something that you think you did in the past that you, um, that you maybe should apologize for, if it's not a hindrance in your marriage currently or going forward, I just don't see the sense in bringing it up. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and that flies in the in in contrast to a lot of things that I've heard, right? A lot of a lot of advice that I've gotten, but I just don't see the point in bringing things up that really don't have an impact at all. Right. Now, if it does have an impact on yourself or your marriage or both, yeah, resolve it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of yeah, going going to bed, yeah, I, Scripture says don't go, don't let the sun go down. Um, I think as long as not again, I'm speaking from my personal experience. As long as I know that we have made progress mm-hmm. and that yeah. we are working towards a resolution, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't need to There's stay up 24 hours straight yeah. for that. For sure. But I also don't want to say, I'm ticked at you, you're ticked at me, I don't even want to talk to you or look at you right now, let's just go to bed and figure this out in the morning. Nah, that's not, yeah. that's not, that's not healthy. You've got to figure out, what are we going to do? What's our next step? Yeah. What are we going to do mm-hmm. to to resolve it because we can't go to sleep with this like this. I mean, what if one of you doesn't wake up? And, and I know that's uh, cliche too, yeah. right? But you still, the, 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 the um, concern is that you go to sleep and you wake up and it's like, ah, I'm, you know, I've got to get going. I got to get to work. Your, your spouse has to get to work. We'll talk about it tonight. And then you get home and the kids got this or that. You got to take the kids to this place yeah. and you get busy. And all of a sudden, things kind of snowball and you don't really talk about it, but it's still festering underneath. That's the, mm. that, that's the concern with letting it go. That's good stuff. That's yeah, really good. That's really good. And you know what? Um, we're, we have about 10 more minutes, Mike, and th- this is, I think we saved this, the most important part for last. You and I spoke about this yesterday and I want you guys, if you're here uh, to really, you know, pay attention to this part. Uh, first of all, I'm going to lead into this last segment by saying, you know, Mike, this is your first book, and I told you, I said, you know, this this book is on par with some of the best books about marriage that I've read from, you know, heralded authors and, and pastors, and I and I really do believe that. I believe there's just as much value, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring one of those other books that I would compare it to here. Uh, I'm gonna start this last segment with a quote from Tony, uh, Pastor Tony Evans, who wrote the book Kingdom Marriage, and when we talk about God's agenda and what He wants for the kingdom. And for this earth right here, that's what we're going to get into. And Tony says this, To know whether a man is following God's kingdom agenda for his home, the best place to look is at his wife. Does she feel loved? Does she feel known, honored, and spiritually encouraged in her relationship with her husband? When we talk about the kingdom agenda, when we talk about saving the world, that was the thing that I said in the intro. People are like, how can we save the world? How can we right this ship when we look around at the news and everything that's going on today, we look for man, we look to politicians, we look for uh, Hollywood influencers or um, internet, social media influencers, and we're looking to the wrong place. We're looking for all the wrong answers except one, and that God has an answer to fix all these things. I know you're passionate about this. How do we fix the world with marriage? 
It, it is. It, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds contrary. It, it really doesn't sound like a, like a solution because we look for worldly solutions. We look for money. We look for a leader. Um, and, you know, this is going through the pandemic. Really got a lot of people thinking, you know, myself included. I've always been someone that has wanted to make a big splash, right? Um, which started out for the wrong reasons, but, uh, you know, I'm, I, I had the thinking that if I'm not impacting a million people, then why even spend my time on it, right? It's, it's that, how do I make, how do I make a big difference in the world? And I have two kids. They're both, uh, both in college now. One will be a senior and one will be a, a freshman. And reflecting on the last 25 years of my marriage and my family, um, at some point in the middle of that, and it really was maybe, maybe, uh, you know, when my kids were just under 10 and, and I just, I realized that if I do nothing else in life, but love my wife the best that I can, build my marriage and my family the best that I can so that we love each other, we care for each other. And I help to instill intentionally good values and principles in my children. And I show them what a loving marriage looks like and what a loving family looks like, looks like. That is the core foundation that I'm asked to do from, from God. You know, when I get, hopefully when I get to heaven and I'll say, look, I really couldn't do a whole lot else, but I focused on my family <laughs> and I made my family a priority. And it gets me actually, I mean, it gets me a little emotional just thinking about it, but mm. it's like, you know, I, that, that makes all the difference. And yeah. going through the pandemic, I mean, we, we went home like everybody else and we had a blast for a few months. We were like, okay, how do we get through this together? And you're right. We, we look for somebody else to fix us. Again, it goes back to that. We're, we're addicted to comfort and convenience yeah. and it's easier to say, I'm going to vote for the person in November that's going to make my life better, that I think mm. will make my life better. Or I'm going to advocate for the policy that I think is going to make my life better. Um, or yeah. I don't have enough money or this or that. But if just, and again, I know this isn't going to be a hundred percent, but just think about this. Like what if, what if we could get all families, all husbands and wives to say, you know what, we're going to make this the best we can. We're going to love each other the best we can. We're going to stay together, but we're not just going to stay together. We're going to figure out how to do it really well. Yeah. And we're going to be intentional with our, yeah. And we're going to be intentional with our kids and we're going to raise them with good values and good work ethic. And we're going to show them and tell them so that they know that they're loved and that they have support here. Mm. We're, We're going to be a supportive family, right? This is like, this is throwback to thousands of years ago when families, yeah. you know, when, when a husband, when a, a boy would be uh, matched up with a, with a wife and then they would make, build an addition onto his parents' home and they would all live together, right? Um, after they would get married. And I, I realize it sounds primitive, but what if everybody did that? And again, not everybody would do it, but what if, what if we could get 80% yeah, of the family? Let, think about the assignment. Well, you know, you, David is incredibly passionate about politics. I don't know if anyone has figured that out yet, but he's very, very passionate about it. And, um, (laughs) uh, but at the same time, you know, we have a very, you know, we have a strong agreement in this home and I've reiterated a number of times and just hearing you say it, like as for me and my house, right. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. So, 
when it comes to this biblical order and, and why, if we make this the mission of what goes on and we call it our home team, um, and let's just say there's an army of people doing the exact same thing. Regardless, we know, look, there's some really strange stuff going on in the world. But regardless of leaders or policies or whatever, if we have enough people under one roof and then collectively, uh, you know, under a mission, like, okay, try it. Try me. You know, try it. Because the family, the fabric of our family can't be ripped apart because we're all on the same page, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to that term. But we we know what our mission is. And if that mission is the same collectively for an entire army of people and families and marriages and, and children and we're, we're perpetuating that in the, the nuclear home, uh, again, like it's it changes things. It changes things. And that's the assignment, right? If, 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 if that's my assignment and your assignment and someone else's assignment and hundreds of others, thousands of others, millions of others, it changes the world. Right. And it's, it's the, really the effort. And Mike had a great analogy yesterday because um, it's – we know that it's not going to happen. And what happens is sometimes we talk about the nuclear family and we talk about building the world back up through the strength of marriages and family. And some people have literally taken offense to that when I posted about it. Well, how, you know, you're, you're driving, you're driving people away from Christianity or um, not everybody can have, you know, not everybody comes from a, a perfect home. And, and what about, you know, the people that got into a marriage with great intentions, but the other spouse just didn't. And you had this great, analogy mike about basketball can you give me that one yeah so it's you know when you when you buy an appliance i'll start there when you buy an appliance it comes with an instruction manual right why it's because it, it tells you how to get the best use out of that appliance now you can choose to use it in different ways but if you want it to perform the best that it can and give you the outcomes, the best outcomes you're looking for, you go by the instruction manual. And I'll actually, I thought about uh, about this, that, you know, I, I think is a little bit better than the, than the basketball analogy. I was actually thinking of, um, you know, what if a football coach decided to only bring half of his team to a game and say, you know what, you guys are going to play both offense and defense. Now, you can still win the game, but it's going to take a heck of a lot more effort because your players are going to be playing both sides of the ball against others who are fresher, who are specialized in what they do. And you're probably going to lose nine times out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, you know, very few. Now, again, you can play your heart out and you can, you can win that game, but it's going to be a heck of a lot more different. Why, you know, why would you do that if the league allows you to bring enough players to specialize in offense and defense? God created man and woman to specialize so that one doesn't have to work and do the work of both, right? And there are a lot of cases. I mentioned this yesterday. I I saw um, Ben Carson speak last weekend, and he spoke so highly of his mom. You know, he grew up, his dad left home when he was uh, eight years old. He and his brother were raised by their mom, and she did an amazing, amazing job. It can be done, yes, but God gave us the instruction manual to have man and woman, father and uh, father and mother, you know, together, the husband and the wife, because we we both bring something different and we can work together in that. Um, it's not wrong to say that, right? It's not wrong to say that it's easy, two is easier having two is easier than one, and having two that have different qualities um, 
you know, in general, men and uh, men and women will bring different qualities as a husband and wife and as a father and a mother. Um, sometimes those qualities are, are somewhat reversed and, and sometimes they're a little bit more equal. But, why, you know, it's not wrong to say that it's actually a, a more a better setup for your home to have a, a loving husband and wife and an intentional father and mother together. Uh, my sister is a single mom and she's doing the best she can and she's a, she's a phenomenal mom and she's raising two great kids. Would it have been easier with if she had a loving husband yeah. with her to do that? Who was in, even when they were married, he was an intentional father, right? But if he, if he, if she did have that, yeah. would it be both easier and could her kids be set up, uh, you know, uh, with a greater foundation totally. than? Her trying to toil about it on her own? Absolutely. Again, we had it's not wrong to we, say that. We literally had a conversation and podcast about this race. I was raised by a single mom. And, and we mm-hmm. had that same question. I was like, look, I am who I am today because of what happened to my parents. But had they reconciled in a way, that, you know, that was that was biblical and what we're talking about right now, would, would I have been set up for success in a different way? Totally. I believe that. Yeah. I totally believe that. But, you know, to your point she's doing the best she can and she's doing a phenomenal job and that's not to take away from you know the demographic of people that are with these circumstances right it's not you know? an attack it's no. not an attack on single parents it's not an attack on anyone that's been divorced it's an advocacy but what yeah what it is is let's use common sense i mean would you have wanted things to turn out different when you were giving your vows yeah. would you have wanted to say yeah i plan to be with this person for the rest of my life and and raise a great family yes so this is where ego, this is where having tough conversations, this is where saying, look, better or worse, right? It, we're not saying it can't be done. We're saying there's a reason why the world looks like it does now. You can change a lot of things, but, you know, with the deterioration of the family, you know, what, what do we say that, that Ronald Reagan quote, Mike, that we said the other day, right? Yeah, in his farewell address, he said, "All great change in America, begins at the dinner table." At the dinner table, at the dinner table with all the great family. change in America begins at the, at the dinner table. Amen, yeah. amen to that. You know, it's it's a great place to kind of wrap up this conversation. There's so much more we can talk about, but you know, I think we we definitely gave the audience today, Mike, your your heartfelt representation for hey, marriage is super important. It's the most important decision you're going to make in your life. Hey, you know what? we're all going through tough things and we're all going to have to learn how to communicate and battle through this. And the final thing was just what we talked about. You know, if we want to correct the world, if we want to make families stronger, then it's going to have to start in the home and at the dinner table and, and talking about things that quite frankly, um, it's become taboo to talk about because political correctness and the cultural warriors out there will want to throw arrows at us and say, Oh, that's old fashioned or, you know, you're 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 not with the times. And what we say is, you know what? God defined marriage. Okay, show me any other book. Mother Nature never defined marriage. The universe never defined marriage. The universe never told a man how he should love his wife. You know who did? God in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so it's to me, it is the way. And to me, that's how we get back. Any final thoughts, Mike? Yeah, just to to really piggyback off of that. I mean, we we all have this innate desire to uh, to contribute to for some significance. And a lot of us, particularly what we've been through the last couple of years, are, are trying to find that. You know, it's, uh, I'm a common man. I don't have a lot of money. You know, my wife and I and, and kids, we, we live in Middle Tennessee. 
Um, so you can fall into the trap of saying, what can I do? What can, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. You can love your family. You can strengthen your family. And you can be intentional with, with how you treat them and how you raise your kids. Mm-hmm. That is how we change the world. And yes, so you, you have significant, incredible significance. And I'm speaking to everybody when I say you, you listening has incredible significance and contribution by focusing on your home and making your home the best that it can. And if, if we all do that, then that's, that's how we make the greatest change. And that's what's going to change the world. Amen to that, my friend. Amen. And I, I wish you all the success in the world. Again, the book is called Ultra Marriage. Our guest has been Mike Bellini. Mike, where can they find this book? It's, you can go to Amazon or my website, MikeBellini.com. Spell it for us. Not Amazon, your last name. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so it's Mike, B-E-L-L-I-N-I.com. All right, well, we thank you. We, we pray that this book reaches the masses and that we, we, we know you're already thinking about working on a second one. And um, we are so grateful that you shared your time here with us today on the Turdod Podcast. Friends, we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us today.